Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the day of Pentecost. Uh, We have watched as the liturgical calendar has moved us from the season of Easter, and now we begin the season of Pentecost. This will be the last in the sermon series entitled Grace. A little bit more about this picture at the very end that that won the competition. This is Jennifer, a recent graduate of Northwest Classen High School, except during a pandemic there are no parties. There is no walking across the stage. There's not even a graduation ceremony. And so I I ache for all of these high school and college seniors who didn't get that little rite of passage. Jennifer didn't get it either. But she did have a family friend who wanted to come over and take a few pictures of her in her graduation garb just to sort of memorialize the date. And so they got outside and they got ready to take some pictures. And all of a sudden they hear a lot of cars honking on their horns. And unbeknownst to Jennifer, the family had arranged for a little bit of a parade sort of a a graduation parade for Jennifer. And this is what it looks like when you're overcome with emotion. When you're overcome with emotion because of the the graciousness and the hospitality of your own family and the love that your family is demonstrating for you now. And yes, that is a great, great image of hope. Because my suspicion is that she will go on from this place with this burned into her memory and be better for it. She's not going to just hoard this education and just sort, of, just sort of keep it somehow locked inside of her head. That diploma is going to go on her wall, but she will continue to grow and achieve. This is what kind of happens. We are moving from a season of Easter where we are looking for resurrection, glimpses of resurrection hope, but now we are moving into the season of Pentecost, and we're still looking for something similar. In fact, maybe we're looking for the same thing. We're just calling it something different. What was being called a glimpse of hope is now being called a movement of the Spirit, a movement of the Spirit. And I think, again, what Jennifer in this entire situation shows us is the forward motion, the forward movement of the Spirit that makes life live. Welcome to Pentecost. Welcome to Pentecost. And and I would submit to you that the world really needs for the people of God to figure out Pentecost. The world is burning and not in a great way. There is a message embedded in the whole theology surrounding Pentecost that we inside the church must get right so that we can implement it outside of the church. And creation is waiting for us to figure all of this out, as Paul says in Romans 8. But I really kind of think that in order to understand Pentecost, we have to understand what it is that goes before. Like, what is it back in the Old Testament memory that helps to understand why the people were gathered on this day? In fact, it was already called the day of Pentecost before the Spirit showed up in Acts chapter 2. What was going on way back when? Well, there is a little bit of help that we can get actually out of the book of Leviticus, the book of Leviticus. Now, you should know this, that in Leviticus, what we have here is the day of Pentecost, but it's actually a festival. It's called the Festival of Weeks, or what the Jewish people still call to this day, Shavat, Shavat. Shavat happens 50 days after Passover. So after the moment when you can tell and retell the story of God's goodness and God's graciousness and God's rescue and God's liberation, God rescued the people of Israel out from under the thumb of Pharaoh and sends them off into this new world. Ultimately, it would be the promised land. 
50 days after Passover, the people are supposed to bring back these first fruits, these first fruits of the harvest, in a way to say to God, thank you, God. Thank you for this gift of liberation. Thank you for this gift of liberation and this this future and this hope that we would not have had otherwise. And by the way, God, this is also somehow intended in the gift. Please keep it up. Continue to help us. Continue to help us. All the way back in Leviticus 23. And from the day after the Sabbath, from the day on which you bring the sheaf of the elevation offering, you shall count off seven weeks. This is after Passover. They shall be complete. And you shall count until the day after the seventh Sabbath, 50 days. And then you shall present an offering of new grain to the Lord. This is that festival of weeks. But there's a part at the very end that we don't talk about very much, which I think is very important. And which I think, if we will listen to it all over again, will give us a deeper, richer, broader understanding of what it is that the people of God are supposed to undertake as it has to do with Pentecost. After outlining specifically what kinds of sacrifices are to be made on this day of Pentecost, you get to the very end and it says this, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very edges of your field, or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Think of this as the stuff that falls off the tractor in the process of doing the harvest. Anything that falls off, you're supposed to leave. Don't gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the alien. I am the Lord your God. So interestingly enough, in the practice of Shabbat, in the process of bringing these first fruits to God, in the, in the process of this harvest, there is still provision made for the people outside of your little group. There is still provision made for those perhaps still in bondage or in captivity. Poverty is its own form of bondage and captivity. There is this admonition in the very undertaking of this festival of weeks, in the very undertaking of Shabbat, there is this undertaking that the people of God would not just receive this gift and hoard it for themselves, but would understand at some level that they were saved in order to help God save, liberated in order to help in the process of liberation, rescued, rescued in the hope of furthering God's rescue. Again, the people of God really need to rethink this whole day of Pentecost and what it is that we are asked to do on the day of Pentecost. And let me say it like this. The world is burning and waiting for the people of God to recapture the imagination of Pentecost. Recapture the imagination of Pentecost. One of my favorite authors says this about this ancient sense of Pentecost, he says, Pentecost was essentially a celebration for those who had been lifted out of poverty and slavery to remember that abundance and freedom obligate us to those who continue to live in poverty and chains. In poverty and chains. With this ancient practice in mind, with this recognition that we are saved so as to save, with this understanding that Pentecost is meant to not only equip us, but embolden us to be the people who can participate in the liberation process, the process of rescue. Now let's go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. 
Verse 2, and suddenly from heaven there came the sound like the rush of a violent wind, although it could have been translated breath. It is almost as if God is blowing into this room. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. If you will remember with me, it was just a few weeks ago that we had this passage of Scripture out of John chapter 20. It was after the resurrection, and the disciples, still frightened, were in this room behind a locked door, and then Jesus shows up and he says this to them, peace be with you. And then just a couple of verses later, he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. We understand something about that breath that did something for that group of people that day. Understand this to be the same kind of process, but much, much louder and perhaps much, much scarier. Because it wasn't just the wind. It wasn't just this giant breath that day. There was more to it than that. And then, verse 3, divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other real languages as the Spirit gave them ability. In other words, God is going to announce through these people, through these very people, that the rescue of God now that resides with the people of God, Israel, is going to be made available to all the people, and Israel is going to be the mouthpiece. Another way to say it is now the church, the church is going to be the mouthpiece for this moment of rescue for all of creation. You see, just a chapter before, they've been told to wait in Jerusalem. Jesus said this, Wait here in Jerusalem, because there is coming a great power, and I will resource you then to be my messengers all over the world. Well, it has happened here in Acts chapter 2. They are resourced. They are gifted. They are recognizing that they too, like their ancestors, have been rescued in order to rescue, loved in order to love, liberated in order to liberate. Now, the people outside could hear that something was going on. The people outside on the street heard a lot of noise. And in fact, Scripture seems to tell us that they were amazed and perplexed and astonished and bewildered. In fact, probably could have used the word frightened, maybe even horrified, maybe even terrified, because something was going on. And it wasn't so much that they were hearing the wind. It wasn't so much that they were seeing the fire. They were hearing the voices. There were lots of people in Jerusalem there. It was a cosmopolitan city. It was also a time of festival. That there, so there were people there from all kinds of, of places around the world, and they all spoke these different languages. But no matter where they came from, they heard the same message, and it went something like this. God rescued, and God is still going to rescue. There is a new power on the scene, and everything is going to change. In fact, I love this verse. Verse 12. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? Yeah. What does it mean? What should it mean? I mean, because the world is burning. <laughs> there are systems and processes in place that really need to be undone, toppled. What does Pentecost mean now? What does it mean to be a Pentecostal people in this sense? What should it mean to the people outside of this room, outside of this fellowship? What should the day of Pentecost mean to us? And then what should it mean to the people outside of this room because of what it means to us? 
Again, one of my favorite authors says this. It says, the inbreaking of the Spirit is profoundly unsettling and even deeply threatening to the crowd in the street, and so it must devise some explanation, some rationalization for such irrationality. Surely things aren't going to change this much because of all that we're seeing. And so they say about the people in that upper room who had experienced this gift of the Spirit, they said about them, they're probably drunk. Day drinkers, they are filled with new wine. Willemann goes on to say, A new wind is set loose upon the earth, provoking a storm of wrath and confusion for some, but a fresh breath of hope and empowerment for others. Look no further than the Apostle Peter. I mean, it hasn't been that long since Peter would have been cowering in the corner, identified as a follower of Christ, only to deny this Jesus three times. In one night, three times in one night. There were times when he seemed awfully brave. What he ended up being was impetuous. He ended up being a disciple who was measured and weighed and found wanting. But then a resurrected Jesus came to him and forgave him. That was an important step in Peter's maturation process. And now, and now on the day of Pentecost, as he now is understanding it, the same God who rescued him and loved him is now equipping him to be a part of the rescue effort for everyone else. Equipping him to be a part of the effort by which God through him now will love and restore and liberate other people. Quite the story. Quite the story of maturation. Quite the story of development for this Simon Peter. He stands up and he says this, Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, saying, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. He goes on to say that these people aren't drunk. God is doing what God does all over again. God is doing this thing again. God is is making God's self known all again, all over again. And God is calling people to participate in this process whereby more and more and more of creation will be loved. More and more of creation will be saved, rescued, and liberated. That's what God is doing. The promised day of the Lord. Now, there's this big, long speech, and it's a really good one, and you ought to listen to it. It's one of the best speeches I have ever heard, but, but I have heard another speech that I, that I think is almost as good. There was a young man who at the age of 15, he was kind of a prodigy, at the age of 15, boarded a bus and traveled 140 miles with a fellow student and a teacher to a speech contest. This young man got up and delivered this speech, thought he had delivered a winning speech, did not win, was very angry, jumped back on the bus. And he and his friend and his teacher made the long trip home, 140 miles. They were black. The bus stopped in Macon, Georgia, to bring on a few more people. And now, this young man was asked to get up out of his seat. Already stinging because of his speech contest defeat, this was almost too much to bear, and he was willing in that moment to make a scene. This was an angry, angry young man. It took his teacher coming and saying, please, not here, not now. This will scar you. This will scar others. We we need to not do this, young man. You're not quite ready for prime time. 
And so he relents and goes to the back of the bus, but he was still angry. In fact, he would one day say that this was the angriest he had ever been. Must have been pretty angry because not too long after that, he went to get a haircut. Now remember, he's 15 years old. Went to get a haircut, and the man who was going to give him the haircut was an army vet, 21 years old. At the end of the haircut, the army vet said, okay, that'll be a dime. Young man said, I don't have a dime. Put it on my tab or I'll pay you later. How about an IOU? They ended up, they ended up fighting. They ended up fighting so hard that it spilled out onto the front lawn. But the young 15-year-old fought back so hard that he earned the respect of the 21-year-old man named Mac. And then Mac, and then this young man who was a prodigy who skipped two years of high school, left and went to college, and they went to college together. The young man's name is Martin Luther King. And at this college, he learned all he needed to learn. And he started to grow into this person who had both a voice and a message. He then entered seminary, recognizing that God had something for him to say and God had something for him to do. In fact, I would say it something like this. Martin Luther King enjoyed the movement of the Spirit in and through his life. Every Martin Luther King day, I actually have my kids listen to the I Have a Dream speech. I think one of the greatest moments, one of the greatest oratory moments that the world has ever heard or seen. But before we get to that, I want you to see again what it is that Pentecost is supposed to do. Let's, let's return to the quote from earlier in the sermon. Pentecost, according to D. Mark Davis, was essentially a celebration for those who had been lifted out of poverty and slavery to remember that abundance and freedom obligate us to those who continue to live in poverty and chains. Martin Luther King understood Pentecost. (laughs) Martin Luther King understood the resources that come to him in a moment of Pentecost. Martin Luther King understood that he himself had been loved and saved and rescued and liberated and understood then that he had to turn around and be a part of the process whereby others could be loved and saved and rescued and liberated. Take a look at this. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creeds. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will they be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream. My four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin but by the content of their character. I have a dream Every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain. 
you and I, we have been liberated from sin and death in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But now what will we do with this freedom? It seems to be our Pentecostal tradition that we would respond to the gift of liberation with gratitude and with mission. Now, it doesn't have to be political or partisan, but it does have to be embodied. Who suffers poverty, fear, anxiety, or bondage? Our liberation as the people of God is meant to be celebrated with and for those still in need of liberation. Christ's spirit enables us to speak broadly, so creation-wide, and boldly all the way to power. It is meant to be good news for all, even if some in the process will perceive it as bad news at first, and some will. The spirit, when given opportunity, though, always moves people and situations toward justice and peace, and reconciliation. The country is burning right now. I'm reminded again of these verses in Romans chapter 8. It goes something like this. Creation is waiting on its tippy toes for the revelation of the people of God. God's intended vessels, God's intended processes through which God wants to unleash the powers and the gifts of the Spirit. If there is injustice, we're supposed to be part of the issue. We're supposed to be part of the response, part of the solution. When there is lack, when there is poverty, when there is fear, where there is discord, where there is death and deathly circumstances, that's where we go. Now, what we're after is justice and peace. But understand that justice, peace, and reconciliation, these are not simple, and they may not come easily because peace is more than just the absence of conflict. You have not necessarily achieved peace just because you have logged off of Facebook. The question that Pentecost asks us is this. Do you remember that you have been liberated? Do you remember that you have been given these gifts of life and hope and future and freedom and liberation? Do you remember? If you do remember that you've been given these gifts, the second question that comes to us on the day of Pentecost is this. What are you doing with them then? One correct answer is, well, we are saying thank you, and that is the correct answer. We are grateful, God. We are so grateful, God, that we will show you our gratitude. These gifts of life and help and hope and liberation are not meant to be hoarded. The broken places in our country, the broken places in our societies and our neighborhoods, we are called to those places. Trying to accomplish the good kind of reconciliation, which is more than just separating into our sides or our types or our kinds. We are called to a godly sense of peace, which is more than the absence of conflict. We are called to unleash the kingdom. We are called to be carriers of the Spirit. Have we underappreciated the gift that we have been given in the cross and the resurrection and now in Pentecost? Have we been grateful enough? 
Are we spending our gratitude in those still in need of liberation? The Spirit still breathes and still moves. And sometimes the Spirit moves around us and in spite of us. But sometimes the Spirit moves along with us. Sometimes the Spirit carries us and sometimes we carry God's presence wherever we go. country is burning. Creation is groaning, waiting for the people of God just to figure out who they are, to figure out what it means to be the rescued, liberated people of God. Church, let me encourage you to get involved. Let me encourage you to speak out, to speak up when you need to, but to do so as an ambassador of the resurrected Christ. Let me encourage you to Realize that you too, like Simon Peter and like Martin Luther King, have been resourced with the, with the resources of Pentecost. Speak to all of creation and speak to power. Be a part of the healing solution. Soon, please. Soon. Man, it's time to pray. And I will start us in this time of prayer with a moment of confession before turning it over to Lisa who will take us through prayers of petition. But I want us to ask ourselves during these moments of confession, is it possible that we have underappreciated these gifts that we have been given? Is it possible that we have perhaps, in a sense, hoarded this new life, (laughs) this new hope, Is it possible that we have underappreciated what it is that God now wants us to do with these gifts given to us in the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Christ, in the revealing of God's Spirit made available to each of us and all of us together? Is it possible, is it possible that we have underappreciated those gifts? If so, we do have something to confess. Is it possible that we look around and we are so frightened by a world that we don't see ourselves as called to that, we see ourselves as called somehow away from that? Then we have something to confess. And so let's pray. Father, remind us that we do, in fact, enjoy the gift of your presence. Father, remind us that we, we do, in fact, enjoy the gifts of afforded to us by the death and the resurrection of your Son. Remind us, God, that you have overcome sin and death. Remind us, God, that you have called us into your family, into your inner circle. Remind us that you have called us to your mission. You've called us to take up a place of residence in your heart. Remind us that you have called us to participate with you in the healing and the mending of all creation. Remind us, Lord, and if need be, remind us that we have not quite lived up to that calling. In fact, God, I confess that I have not always lived up to that calling. I have not always made good use of the gifts made available to me in the Christ event. I've not always made good use of the resources that you have made available in stories like the one that we see here today in Acts chapter 2. And so I confess, Lord, that I need to be reminded that I am enough, that we are enough, that we have what we need 
to do what you've asked us to do. And now, church, I would invite you to pray your own prayer of confession before I read a few words and turn it over to Lisa. seem especially powerful and pertinent today. May the Almighty God have mercy on you, forgive you all your sins through our Lord Jesus Christ, strengthen you in all goodness, and by the power of the Spirit, keep you in eternal, abundant, boundless life. 